You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Um, man, I'm going to continue my tradition of reading to you the worst dad jokes on the planet because I like torturing you and I'm sick that way. That's a joke. You can laugh uh, during this sermon. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to laugh or be loud. I, I like a loud room. Is that okay? So can you just say amen to that? Okay, this one is for Pastor Jory. Uh, who's not here but undoubtedly will be watching online. Um, Once there was a priest who loved golf, golf, golfed. See, I'm going to have to read at, uh, it was so bad they were just like, no. We we don't want to hear that joke. You guys can just leave it. We'll just do it this way. Are you guys okay with that? It feels weird because I can't see any of you, but that might be better, you know, the further along I get in case I make you angry. Um, once there was a priest who loved golf as much as preaching, which is weird because I think that anybody would like golf more than preaching. Preaching is hard. Uh, one fine Sunday morning, he woke up to find the most perfect golfing weather. He was really torn between his two true loves. Finally, he gave in and asked another priest to do the sermon for him. He quietly packed up his golf bag and slipped out the back door of the church. At the links, he was having the most perfect game. His drives were straight and long, his chips landed exactly where he wanted them to, and his putts rolled perfectly. It seemed he could make the ball do exactly what he wanted it to do. Up in the heavens, two angels were watching with consternation. They asked God, do you see what one of your own is doing? God just smiled. At the next hole, a par three, the father hits a perfect shot and gets a hole in one. The angels turn to God and say, really? God smiles and says, sure, but who's he going to tell about all this? (laughs) Would you bow your head and pray with me? And if you have your Bible there, go ahead and open up to Mark 5 while we're praying. Um, This morning, Father, I just pray that... I just pray that, Lord, we would be able to engage... Holy Spirit, deeply, that we would be able to hear your voice in our souls, that we would be able to see in your word who you are and what you're like. God, and I pray that there's a grace in the room this morning to respond fervently. Father, today we invite you to convict, to encourage, to counsel, Father, we ask you for fire. That you would burn up that that's in us that doesn't need to be there. And you would light up and heat up our love for Jesus. Father, right now, 
I just pray for a shift in the atmosphere in the room. And that we would engage your presence in a deep way this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Everybody said amen. Amen. Something. Mark 5. I'm going to preach this morning and and we're just going to do some light post-Christmas preaching on demons and the fear of the Lord. Okay? It's just some really light stuff this morning. You have in your Bible Mark 5, and, and, and what I'm preaching on, I, I, you know, I think that it's easy um, to show up to church, especially on weekends, in, in between holidays, and thank you for being here, and welcome online for those that are watching. I really do want to thank you. It means a lot to us and the leadership that you guys are coming out to church right now. That is just such a such a mark of courage and, and just it shows your motivation to go after God even in the midst of this crazy pandemic that we have going on. Um, so just lightly pat yourself on the back there. That's, go ahead. I'll let you do it. But what I'm preaching on and what I told the dream team is this has been ministering to me. And so I don't want for you to feel this morning like I'm coming at you with anything that I haven't been sitting with. And really, you know, church, I think that it's time and what God's calling us back to is basics. Like God's calling us back to the word. He's calling us back to holiness. He's calling us back to showing up to church. He's calling us back to being in community. He's calling us back to the main and plain things. Amen? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This is main and plain Jesus' ministry in the earth. Let's read Mark 5, okay? I'm in the ESV, but you can read whatever version you've got in front of you. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasene. And there, Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately. Somebody say immediately. There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me? Watch this. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. See that? Out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering 2,000. Wow. Rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the, who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now, this is our main passage. This is what we're going to look at. And I'm just going to make a couple of points as we go here. I've got a lot to say. The first thing I want you to notice is that the demon, okay, the demon legion, the first they, them, the demon knew Jesus' name. Jesus did not know the name of the demon. Jesus does not spend time. I want you to see this because we ought to model this type of behavior. Jesus does not spend time learning the names of lying devils. But the demon knew Jesus. What's it say in... In the Bible, it says that even the demons know. I think it's in James. Even the demons know who he is, and they shudder. The question is not, do you know Jesus? The question we should be asking is, does he know you? The first thing we've got to take away from this passage is when when Jesus meets this demon, the demon understands who he is, but Jesus doesn't know the demon. I think a lot of times, think about this in, in terms of our society, in terms of life, in terms of people who come in and out of churches. Yes, it's good that you know Jesus, but does he know you? That's just something I want you to think about. The demon begs Jesus to send him where? Out of the country. No, sorry. The demon begs, sorry. The demon begs Jesus. I want you to see this. The demon begs Jesus not to send him out of the country. Jesus has the ability to not just send the demon away, but he has the ability to send, Jesus, to send the demon to a completely separate region. He can send, so what I want to point out to you there is that this demon is not just in the man. He's operating in a space and in a community. So, as an aside, a political aside, for those of you that are still praying for our nation, you know, we ought to be still praying that every demon that doesn't need to be in the U.S. gets out. And when... Jesus speaks. He can actually remove a a demonic presence. And all that that is, is it's a presence working against the will of God in the earth. And it has an actual region that it's, it's operating in. And Jesus, he can speak and he can send that demon somewhere else, right? So the demon is begging Jesus, hey, don't, don't send me out of this country. And Jesus obliges him. Now, something that is really interesting to me is that Jesus actually allows this demon, this demonic presence to go into 
this herd of pigs. So how much is a pig worth? I'm not a farmer or a rancher. How, how much, Doug, how much is a pig worth? You can go out and buy a pig. Anybody know? I literally don't know. Well, this aside has backfired. <laughs> Whatever a pig is worth, Jesus allows this demon to leave this man and he goes into this herd of pigs. And think about this. It's not like 50 pigs. It's 2,000 porkers <laughs> run down this hill and they drown themselves in the ocean. And now I've heard preachers say, well, that was because Jews weren't supposed to keep pigs because that's not kosher. Now, let me tell you something. The garrison is not in Israel. It's a part of the Roman Empire in southern Greece. So these are not Jews that Jesus is speaking to. Other people have said, well, you know, Jesus wants to, like, upset the industry of the town. I don't think that's it either. You see, Jesus gets off the boat, and he's immediately met with this man with an unclean spirit. Think about this. These villagers in the garrison. They have this problem, and the problem is this mentally unwell human being. The Bible says that he had been bound with shackles. Well, who do you think did the binding? The villagers had tried to contain this mess outside in the mountains. They had tried to keep this demonic force out there. They had tried to bind it. They had tried to manage. They were trying to manage their demon problem. <laughs> and Jesus, when he meets Legion, he sends Legion into this herd of sheep to illustrate something really important about sin and the demonic in our lives. You see, the villagers had been trying to manage their demon problem, and I think that by their attitude later in the passage, I think they thought that they really had it under control. I think that they thought that as long as it was just this man and then as long as it was out there and as long as it didn't really affect their day-to-day, -day, that that was good enough for them. What they didn't realize is that sin is always a split second away from taking out something critical to how you live. And you never know when that moment that the straw is going to break the camel's back is coming. Because the Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring lion crouching at your door. You guys saw Tiger King. I know you did. <laughs> Tigers are not meant to be pets. And you cannot create a pet situation with sin. Because in a moment, Jesus sends these demons completely out of the man and 2,000 precious little piggies, probably worth a lot of money, I'm assuming. Like, I know no one wanted to shout out how much a pig is worth, but some of y'all know. 350 bucks. 350 bucks. Come on, Tal. 
Okay, what's that times 2,000? Seven hundred thousand bucks, just gone like that. Boom. So Jesus, I don't think is being cruel. I think Jesus, what he wants these villagers to see is that by trying to maintain or contain or manage their demon problem, their compromise problem. Because look, this is not just this is not just about this man and his unclean spirit it is also the condemnation of this community and how they really felt about the man and their fellow neighbor when jesus confronts this he sends the demon out the pigs go into the water and they die the herdsmen go into the city and the people of the city come out and they beg jesus to leave Because the boogeyman that they knew was more comfortable than the God that they had no control of. If even just one person in that city had had the heartbeat of Jesus, had had a lick of love for the man in their soul, had even an inkling of conviction, They would have been overjoyed that that man had been set free and they would have followed Jesus to the ends of the earth. Sometimes God moves in your life and you're stuck with that confrontation. The title of my message today is The Devil That You Know. They beg Jesus to leave. Something about him was so scary to them that they would have preferred to have a man howling, breaking shackles, and cutting himself in the mountains than to confront this Jew who had just saved this man's life. There's 2,000 pigs. I can only imagine how many people were actually in the garrison. And you know, without Apple TV, there wasn't a lot going on back there. So you imagine that the whole city comes out to meet this man. Can you imagine one human being and the entire, let's just say Dumas. The whole city of Dumas goes out to confront this man. And crowds of people, after seeing the work of Jesus, beg him to go back where he came from. Now, let's illustrate something further about this this story here. Jesus left Judea, got in a boat, crossed an ocean, stepped foot on a beach, and the Bible said that the man immediately met him there. Jesus knew what he was doing when he went to the garrison. Did he go for the man only? I don't think so. I don't think so. Amen? It just strikes me as crazy that possibly thousands of people said no to Jesus. And in that confrontation, look, what Jesus is laying out here, as he's confronting the compromise of these individuals, he's laying out a few options, okay? Let me read you something. This is Proverbs 9.10. 
For the fear of the Lord, somebody say the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. You could say that part too. This is Job 28, 28. And he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Jesus is confronting the garrison with two options. They can either embrace the fear of the Lord or they can allow the fear of the unknown to drive them away from the purpose of God in their lives and in the earth. Now think about it, okay? If the Gerasene had responded to Jesus and asked him to stay, it would have become the first Gentile revival city in the earth. But because they did not, well, they didn't. (laughs) Clearly Jesus had a plan for the Gerasene Clearly, he had a plan for this man, right? Let's talk about the fear of the Lord for a second. When we come under, somebody say the fear of the Lord. I I know this concept, okay, is all across the scriptures. When we come under the fear of the Lord, it will drive us toward hard things. It never lets us pass the buck on what we should do in our lives. The fear of man or the worldly fear will always drive us away from God's best and for us in our personal responsibility. The fear of the Lord working in our lives pushes us toward the unknown. It pushes us toward giving up control. It pushes us toward possibly having to change something in our lives. God forbid. It pushes us towards taking personal responsibility for our lives. It pushes us towards stepping out of our victim mindset. The villagers at the garrison had become comfortable with their compromise. Their dysfunction had become a prison that they were more than happy to live in. When Jesus tried to jailbreak them, they ardently pulled the door of their cage shut and politely begged him to leave. Have you ever done that? The problem with the normal that those villagers wanted to get back to is There was no normal back there. Jesus had obliterated the possibility of them ever getting back to normal and had rewarded them instead with an avid Jesus fan who undoubtedly would never let those villagers sleep another night without reminding them that the Jew who moves in our lives, that the Jew who had the power to change the world and how they had rejected him. (laughs) When God moves in our lives, we are invited to go on a possibly hard journey with him or miserably reject his kindness and stew in bitterness at the new normal that has been hoisted upon us. This is why some people who leave the church are so incredibly bitter. They've had the opportunity to forgive and love, but they choose not to. The devil you know is sometimes preferable to the God you don't. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, God hates compromise in our lives. We don't like to talk about it. I think we like sermons that, that, you know, make us feel good. And it's good to feel good. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter and the encourager. 
He does do that things, but God's also a judge. And I think that we've got to, individually, myself, examine ourselves from time to time. You know, there's times that God moves, and and look, I'm just taking this straight from the scripture. Here, Jesus confronted an entire city with their compromise, just like Nineveh. Only difference, they didn't want to repent. So what happened to them? Did they immediately go to hell? Did, 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 did hellfire rain down on them? Did, they, did, did a whirlwind come through? No. But a root of bitterness undoubtedly was created there. And they were left with this man. They were left with a reminder. They were left with a witness. Sometimes God moves in our lives. He'll always leave a witness. You know, we come through seasons. We go through hard things. There are moments in our lives where God's building our character. He's trying to shape us into the the image of Jesus. He's trying to get holiness into us. He's trying to move us into greater leadership in our community. He wants to move through you to make an impact on your life. And there's these moments of conviction that come. And he's asking you to come under the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord will drive you from behind to go into hard things that you don't want to do and overcome. But the fear of man or the fear of unknown will drive you this way into compromise. But you'll always be left with a witness. And this is the thing with the Gerasene village. They had to choose their fear, okay? It's fear either way. If they go with Jesus or they invite him to stay, they have no idea what's going to happen. This guy just showed up on the beach and completely obliterated a whole industry. What else is he capable of? They don't know. This Jewish man (laughs) from across the ocean, pretty scary, right? On the other hand, They can cave to that fear of the unknown and try to go back to some normal back here. When God moves in your life, there is no normal. And, and, and I see this, there's an epidemic in the, as a pastor, okay? I see this all the time. The, the journey of Christendom, the journey of being a Christian is not Supposed to be easy. Hello. Amen. Every day, Paul said, I beat my flesh. Now, I don't think that you need to beat your flesh, but I'm telling you what Paul said. Every day, Paul said, I beat my flesh into submission to follow Christ. We cannot just focus on the happy, happy joy, joy of the gospel. That is certainly a part of Christian life. But there's another part of Christian life that the Bible says that God calls us and pulls us into his great grace. His kindness leads us to, somebody say it, repentance. Somebody say repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance, but there's not an addendum to that verse that says, and repentance is very easy, and you do it simply, and then everything is great, and you get along with everyone you know, and everyone likes you after that. I've read the book. It's not in there. I'm sorry. 
When Jesus confronts compromise in our life, he calls us out of the fear of the unknown or the fear of losing control or the fear of what someone else is going to think about us or the fear of losing our reputation. And he says, come under the fear of the Lord and obey my commandment. And he not only calls us, but he supplies all the will, all the grace, all the mercy, all the energy that we need to obey him. It's a journey of leveling up. Cool? I think that, sorry, I'm not, I'm not angry at you. Love you. I feel, I, this is something that God's moving in me about, okay? Because I think that we go through seasons where there's like an abundance of grace to do things, but there are times as a son or a daughter, just like when you're parenting your kids, where it's like, man, we got this behavior. We've, we've really got to work this out or this person's going to be horrible when they grow up. And that's the same thing that God is doing. When God confronts you with a compromise in your life or something where you have a sin or, a, or it, it's not even always like a sin, an out and out sin. Sometimes it's just something that's unhealthy, something that's not good for you. Listen, here's the thing. God knows 10 years down the road what his purposes are for you and he's trying to shape you to be the most effective version of yourself in that season. He confronts us in our compromise out of a place of love and kindness. The Bible actually says that if he didn't discipline us, if he didn't confront us, that he didn't love us. He moves in our lives and he shatters and breaks and shakes things up. He shakes up our normal. He kills the old normal to give us the option. Grow up, fear of the Lord, or hide and wait for me to come and give you another shot. Because you're not going back where you came from. This is Revelation 2, 16 through 17. Therefore, repent. If not, (laughs) this is the bad news part. (laughs) (laughs) If not, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. Somebody said, Help me, Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him the white stone with a new name written on it, a a name which no one knows except the one who receives it. The bad news about moments in your life. Okay, let me ask you a question, and I'll give you the the answer. Every hand should be up when I ask this question. How many of you have ever had a moment or a season in your life where God sovereignly stepped in and broke your old normal and confronted you about something? We've all had moments in our lives where our heart comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. For, for all of us, that's the moment when we first give our lives to Jesus Christ. But the Bible calls us to go on being conformed to the image of Jesus And for these individuals in Revelation, Jesus is confronting them, and he gives them two options. And oftentimes, these are the two options. No, I'll say every time, these are our two options. When Jesus confronts compromise in our lives, when he highlights an unhealth or a place where we're not doing well, if we, and we've all experienced this, and it's sometimes 
not even in huge ways, sometimes in subtle ways, we say no to Jesus and he says, okay, but now you are at war with my desire of what I want to do in your life and I have to keep fighting that fight. When you say no to Jesus, when he confronts you in compromise, you become the enemy. You know, I've seen this in my own life. When the Lord will come and he'll, he'll confront something in me and he'll, he'll say, Bo, I, I really, I don't like when you do this. You know this is wrong. And I've had seasons where I said, no, God, I'm just, I'm good. <laughs> he goes, and he'll beg, you know, he'll plead. He'll come again and again and again because he's a God of grace. The Bible says that he's long-suffering. The Bible says that he's patient. Amen. How long, how long had the demonic man in the garrison been on the hill? How many years had he been outside the camp? And there still came a moment, one moment. One moment where everything broke out and it became incredibly violent. A moment where what was normal and what they thought that they could sustain, what they thought they could contain, what they thought they could manage became completely unmanageable and broke out and ruined tons of people's lives. And sin and compromise is exactly that way. So when the confrontation from Jesus comes, our aim, our goal, our heartbeat as believers should be to get better and better at quickly saying yes and coming under the fear of the Lord and go and do the hard things that God is calling us to do because it grows us individually up and it grows us up. It grows us up. We are too individualistic in the church. We think too much about what we and me and my and I, you know, I just don't really want to raise my hand in worship. You know, I really just, me, I don't really just want to stop gossiping. I think I'll just keep going. You know, I personally just don't want to give when God's calling me to give. You see that this sin this demonic problem was manifesting in one individual, but when Jesus came to confront the compromise, it was an entire village's problem. He exposed their heart. It was a regional problem. When he came and said, no more, he didn't just say, no more to the demonic man and I'm going to leave all y'all alone. They came out in droves. You've got to understand that what you say yes to and what you say no to directly, not indirectly, it directly affects how far and how much we can get. We are connected at the hip. <laughs> we can't go anywhere if 75% of us don't want to go there. We are a family. We are going to be seeing a lot of each other for a very long time. Amen. So if you don't like someone in this room, today might be the day to go bury the hatchet. <laughs> 
This is stuff that's just been eating me on the inside. Talon, the drummer, is, is my best friend. We've been best friends for about a decade, and we were talking the other day about all the stupid things we did in our 20s. He's still in his 20s, but <laughs> still stupid. <laughs> Me too. Um, I just looked at him, and I was like, dude, let's, let's, let's not do any of those things ever again. Let's be wise. Let's be wise, you know? If we're going to grow up as the church, we've got to have these kind of hardball conversations. I don't know if you guys have uh, heard this phrase, politicians and bureaucrats all over the world are talking about a great reset with the economy and the, the pandemic and everything that's happening, but I feel like God wants a holy reset. I feel like we're about to see the greatest revival that this nation's ever seen. And let me just tell you guys, moves of God, they require motivating action from the people of God. I didn't say this earlier, but, you know, I think that God is not looking for perfection. But what he is looking for is repentance. You know, repentance is the fastest way back under the umbrella of the fear of the Lord. You know, if you stand clean with your conscience clear and you know you've obeyed God, you are are completely invincible. Amen? Amen. When your conscience is clear before the Lord, when you know that you've responded to his voice, even if you've had to have a hard conversation, do a hard thing, you know, I don't know what it is. Give some money you didn't want to give. When you stand before him, you are invincible. And you know, it's like, you know, my kids, when they know that they've been obedient, It's just like, yes, I did. Yes, sir. Here I am. I did it. You said do it, and I did it. And that's how we should be with the Lord. And repentance, okay, not this kind of brow-beating, sorrowful, you know, godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a good thing that we should all embrace and experience. Romans 8 says there is therefore no condemnation, but nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that your sin won't cause consequences that'll make your life miserable, the people around you miserable. Consequences are real and they bring about a godly sorrow and godly sorrow can lead us to repentance, which is just to own, own our actions, own our behaviors, own our mindset, own our heart posture, Say it's not good. It's not godly. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me. And when we turn like that, the blessing and the favor of God is on us right then. Yes. That's what he says right when we turn to him. Yes. That's what I'm looking for. And even if you're coming out of the stupidest, most stupid place you've ever been. Anybody in here ever done some stupid? I know I have. 
even in that place, God will come on your life and he'll direct it toward blessing and favor. It's like what he says in Revelation. He says, hey, I'm giving you a chance to repent, do it, or I'll fight you. But if I don't have to fight you, I'll reward you. Easy. (laughs) Get the reward, right? (laughs) Go get the reward. Do the hard thing. In all of these churches that Jesus confronts in Revelation, they were going to have to kick people out or, you know, give back some money or do, it was going to be, there was going to be work for them to do to get back in a place of right standing with Jesus. Don't be afraid of the work because on the end, on the other end of doing the work of repentance, you get blessed, you get rewarded, you get favored. Amen? Repentance, not perfection. Starting a new year. And I know there's a million things going on in your life. But as sure as I am about anything, I know that as I began to speak this morning about compromise, you can already think of a few places where you've said no to the Lord. And that's just for every one of us saints. I think there's a call on the church, big C, corporate church, the church in the West. But I think there's a call on the church to repent, to lay down compromise. You know, for the season that we're going into, we're going to need iron in our inner man. You've seen what's going on in the world right now, guys. We need courage and wisdom. And compromise will choke those two things right out of your life. We've got to be the salt of the earth. We've got to be the city on a hill. We've got to be about what we say we're about. Amen? We need courage and wisdom. And we can get it if we'll lay down compromise. Will you stand with me? Our guys are going to pass out communion elements. If you need those, go ahead and stick your hand up. I want to give you an opportunity to... Respond, not not to me, but to the Holy Spirit this morning. For some of you, you already feel it. You already feel that conviction setting in. Don't wait. Don't wait to deal with it. You never know when that thing is going to break out and destroy something or somebody that you love.
For some of you, it's not this big, glaring, obvious thing, but have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Can we close our eyes right now? I want you to picture Jesus. And he's not mad. He has a kind smile on his face. And he's holding out his hands to you. And he's saying, give me that thing. Give me that thing and I'll bless you. Even if this is the 5,000th time that you've repented from whatever this compromise is, do it this morning with every intention of walking away. And the Holy Spirit will instruct you, will instruct you in how to do the walking out of this repentance. The Holy Spirit will instruct you, will give you guidance and wisdom in how to walk out of here this morning. And there's grace to be new. The same power that pulled Jesus' body back from the dead and out of a tomb is working in your heart this morning for the purposes of God to crush the works of the evil one. Your will is not bigger than his ability to change your heart. Your history is not more powerful than his willingness to change your life this morning. He is able to make you new. Father, this morning, Father, in the spirit, I just pray that there is the sound of chains hitting the ground all across the room this morning. God, I pray right now that roots of bitterness are being pulled out of hearts all across the room this morning. God, I pray that the power and the willingness to forgive is being released in the room this morning. God, I pray that all across the room, people are taking their hands off the control levers of their life and giving you that power back, God. You are very great and we love you. Take this last song. Engage with the Lord. Thank you guys so much. I know that was heavy, but I love you. (laughs) We'll see you next time.